Please turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23, if you're using the Black Bibles, that can be found on page 197. Joshua chapter 23, page 197. As a Christian parent, I want you to think with me out of a scenario because it'll tie into our passage today. All you Christian parents out there, when you're about to leave this world in death, what is your final and greatest desire for your children? What is your greatest desire for your children? It's pretty easy, isn't it? It's that they would love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ all their days. Well, that's the situation we have in our text this morning as Joshua addresses Israel's leaders shortly before his death. And so the title of the sermon today is Staying True to the Lord. As we walk our way through chapter 23, I want to point out three habits that will help us stay true to the Lord. Of course, we know that ultimately we persevere by God's grace. Nevertheless, from this chapter, and, and certainly the Bible as a whole, we know that there are practices that we are to be doing which will promote our perseverance. And so that's what we're going to consider today. Before we get to those specific practices, let me just set the scene for us in verse 1. So look with me at verse 1 of chapter 23. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, right? It's like he's setting the scene here. So it says a long time afterward. So a big chunk of time has passed even since chapter 22. We don't know exactly how long there is between chapter 22 and 23, but we can kind of make an educated guess. The next chapter is going to tell us that Joshua dies when he's 110 years old. So he's about that age here in in chapter 23. And we saw recently that after seven years of fighting, Caleb was about 90 years old. So if we assume that Caleb and Joshua were about the same age, then that means there's been about 20 years passed between chapter 22 and, and chapter 23 here. So again, that's a ballpark figure, but it kind of gives us an idea that and helps us understand that Israel's been in the land for a little while now, right? They, they've, they've fought a lot of the battles. It, the land's been allocated to them. They are continuing to take possession of that land and continuing to have to drive out Canaanites. Verse 2 then. Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them. So again, now we've, we've kind of set the scene of, of the time frame, now we're seeing who the address is to, right? And verse 2 says Joshua summoned all Israel, but then it, the verse elaborates to where we see what it really means is the, the leaders of Israel, right? He summoned all the leaders of Israel. In chapter 24, Joshua's going to address the nation as a whole. But here in 23, it seems that Joshua is speaking specifically to the leaders of Israel. And what we're going to see, again, is Joshua wants all of Israel to stay true to the Lord And so it's interesting that the way he starts off accomplishing that is by speaking to the leaders. 
He knows that the best way for Israel to stay true to the Lord is for Joshua to admonish the leaders who will then in turn pass on his words to the people. Right? It's kind of like Paul will say many years later in 2 Timothy 2 2. Joshua's doing what, what Paul admonished Timothy to do, right? He's, he's passing the baton to reliable men who will faithfully teach and lead others, who will faithfully teach and lead the nation to stay true to the Lord. So from Joshua's speech here, we're going to have a description of what it looks like to stay true to the Lord. And again, we're going to be able to glean three habits that will help us stay true to the Lord. And I'll point those out as we go through the passage. All right. So Joshua's speech begins at the end of verse 2. So look there with me. Joshua tells the leaders, I am now old and well advanced in years, verse 3, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes these nations that remain, along with the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. This brings us to our first practice or first habit, if you want to call it that. To help us stay true to the Lord. So if you're taking notes, here's number one. Remember the goodness of God. Remember the goodness of God. That's what Joshua does here. He reminds the Israelite leaders of how good the Lord has been to them in defeating the Canaanites and in giving them the land. Time and again, God worked great miracles and victories for the sake of his people. And Joshua is, is encouraging the leaders to remember that, to hearken back to those days. He's telling them, remember all that God has done for you. Think about how the Jordan River had parted, how the, the walls of Jericho had, had fallen flat, how Ai had been routed, how hailstones had killed the armies of the Amorites, how entire coalitions of Canaanites from the north and from the south had rallied against Israel as numerous, remember the text said, as numerous as the sand of the seashore, and yet Israel had defeated those mighty armies. How? Why? How had Israel been able to do all that? Well, he reminds them, because the Lord had fought for Israel. Right? That's what Joshua's telling you. Remember, God has been fighting for you. And he develops this point then in verse 9. Look at verse 9. We're skipping ahead a little bit. We'll come back. But look, because he continues the same theme in verse 9. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations... As for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Right? This is how they've been able to have such victory. The Lord had driven out before them great and strong nations. This is how Israel had been able to defeat armies that totally outnumbered them, armies that were way more advanced militarily than them. It's because the Lord their God had been fighting for them. What a blessing, right? What an amazing thing to have the creator of the universe be on your side. It's like guaranteed victory, right? The Lord fought for Israel, driving out the nations. Why? Because he had promised them. He had promised to give Israel the land of Canaan. Remember, God was establishing Israel in this land where he would bless them with his presence in the tabernacle. And he would further bless them by by multiplying their crops, by increasing their families. 
They were to be a display of God's glory. They were to be, the nation of Israel was to be living proof that the God of Israel is the one true God. So God has been so good to Israel. They didn't deserve to have the Lord fight for them. Right? This is what Joshua is reminding them. He's reminding them of the goodness of God. They didn't deserve to be given the land of Canaan. They didn't deserve to have God dwell in their midst. But yet God in his grace had chosen to align himself with Israel. Remember, he had redeemed them from slavery in Egypt. He had established a covenant with them there at Mount Sinai. God had chosen Israel out of all the nations in the world. He had chosen Israel to be his special people. And so again, I believe approximately some 20 years have passed since this initial conquest. But Joshua is calling on the leaders to look back and remember the goodness of God. Why? Because remembering the goodness of God should motivate Israel to remain true to the Lord. Right? Because that's his main thrust in this whole chapter. Remain true to the Lord. Do not forsake the covenant. And so he says, remember the goodness of God. Likewise, Christian, today, that, the same principle can help us as well. Remembering how good God has been to us will help us stay true to the Lord. Think, think with me of, about Satan's tactics. Remember when Satan tempted Eve in the garden? One of the things he was doing, right, he, he called into question the goodness of God. As if God was holding something back, something good back from Adam and Eve. You know, oh, he doesn't want you to eat that because he knows when you do, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. He's not good. He's holding something back from you. That's one of Satan's schemes. When we forget how good God is and how good God has been to us, it opens us up to temptation. It opens us up to sin against God. But then the converse is true, right? Meditating on God's grace to us will help us stay true to the Lord because meditating on how good God has been to us and continues to be to us will grow our affection for the Lord. It'll it'll draw us closer to the Lord. It'll strengthen our resolve to stay true to the Lord. As the psalmist says in Psalm 103, verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So think about that. Think about how remembering the goodness of God can help you in your battle against sin. How can I sin against the one who has given me life and who sustains my every breath? How could I indulge in this sin for which Christ suffered on my behalf? How can I not draw near to the one who has indwelt me and made me his own? How could I be indifferent to the one who chose me before the foundation of the world? How can I not love the one who never stops loving me? How could I be unfaithful to the one who will never leave me or forsake me? How can I not worship the one who rescued me by dying in my place? We need to remember the goodness of God. And again, please understand, this, I'm not advocating holiness solely by our own willpower here okay this is what the bible new testament calls us to do this is an example of abiding in christ's love john 15 
right? Remembering the goodness of God is like a synonym for abiding in Christ's love. And as we abide in Christ's love, it's like we're, as, we're, as we're meditating on the goodness of God, the grace of God to us in, in Christ, it's like we're filling ourselves up so full of God's love that it's his love and life that bears fruit in us, the fruit of genuine love for him and love for others. Okay? That's what we're talking about. So Christian, when you are tempted to sin... When you feel your heart growing cold toward the Lord. When you're suffering under the effects of this fallen world. Remember the goodness of God. Remember the goodness of God. You say, well, how do I do that? What does that look like? Well, read and reread the passages about the gospel. That's one way. Another another important way is spend time in prayer thanking God. Listing the blessings that he's lavished on you. Listen and sing along to worship songs that, that rehearse the goodness of God, that, that point us back to the grace of God, the character of God, the gospel. There's many ways, but the, the thing we need to remember is the goodness of God to us in Christ. So that's the first way to stay true to the Lord is remember the goodness of God in Christ. And before I go on, there may be some of you here today who have not yet experienced the saving goodness of God in Christ. In fact, if you were honest, um, you might have a hard time believing that God is good. Because maybe you've suffered in in great ways. You've You've gone through many trials. You've seen a lot of hurt and a lot of, a lot of evil. And so you may be questioning, you know, it, is God even good? Well, I'm, please understand from God's word, he is good. All that he made is good. Sin has entered into this world and has messed things up. And sin has brought devastation and destruction and pain and suffering and separation from God. But God in his goodness and grace did not leave us separated from him, did not leave us just hopeless here under the effects of, of this fallen world. No, God in his goodness and grace sent his son to do something about sin. God in his goodness and grace sent Jesus so that he would could live, die, and rise again in order to conquer sin and death and evil. And so that he could restore everything that sin has broken. And that's exactly what Jesus has done and is doing. And so, again, by nature, we're all sinners against God. We've all disobeyed him, and so we're all separated from God. But because of the finished work of Christ, those who turn from their sin, believe in Jesus, you're reconciled to God. So Christ restores that relationship that sin broke. And again, he comes to live inside of you. He, he makes you a new creation. He begins this new work that eventually will end in your resurrection from the dead when Jesus returns. And you'll get to be with God forever in a, in a new heavens and new earth. So like I, I wasn't exaggerating when I said everything that sin has broken will be restored for those who are in Christ. And so if you have never trusted in Christ as your Savior, I, I urge you today to turn from your sins and by faith embrace him as Savior and Lord. 
to realize that on your own you're lost, on your own you cannot make yourself right with God, but that Christ has done it all. His life, death, and resurrection is what pays for your sin. And so trust in him alone and and bow before him as Lord and you will be saved. And you will know the goodness of God in Christ. So, as we continue here, in verse, now we're in verse 5. Joshua has reminded the leaders of God's past goodness to them, and now he points them forward concerning the Lord's promises yet to be fulfilled. Look with me at verse 5. Joshua says, The Lord your God will push them, the Canaanites, back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Like I said, they're... There are still some Canaanites dwelling in the outskirts of the land, but Joshua reminds the leaders that the Lord has promised to drive those Canaanites out. And in light of those promises then, Israel is to move forward in faith and obedience by defeating the Canaanites. And that's exactly what he's urging them to do. That's what he's calling them to do, to move forward in faith and obedience, to stay true to God. Verse 6 Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Again, God had promised to drive out the remaining Canaanites. Therefore, Israel was to remain true to the Lord by continuing to utterly defeat them from the land so that Israel would not mix with these pagan nations and be led astray by their idols and false gods. As we've seen before, Trust in God's promises, believing God's promises was to lead to faithful obedience by Israel. And that leads us then to our second practice that I want you to note here. Our second habit to help us stay true to the Lord is believe the promises of God. Believe the promises of God. We've talked about this before in Joshua because it comes up often. The world, the flesh, and the devil often tempt us to sin. How? Think, think with me here, right? We, we're all experienced sinners in this room, right? Looking back on, on those many times when we fail, what, what's, what's been Satan's MO? Well, the world, the flesh, the devil often tempt us to sin by promising immediate gratification. Right? Oh, this is going to feel good, or this is going to, you know, somehow this is going to bring you pleasure. But we know from experience that that pleasure is temporary and it is quickly replaced with shame for having sinned against the Lord, right? So one way that we can combat those temptations is to fix our minds on the promises of God and then we won't fall for these schemes again and again, right? Promises like, in your presence there is fullness of joy, Psalm 1611. Or blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, Matthew 5, 8. 
You see, these verses and others like it promise that obeying God in this moment is going to bring me more lasting, more soul-satisfying pleasure as I enjoy intimacy with God than whatever temporary pleasure this sin was promising. You see, that's believing in the promises of God. Believing that God's way is best. <laughs> Another verse, Psalm 84:11 says, "The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly." Again, reminds us, the Lord's commands are good. Therefore, our protection and our joy. He's not, he's not a killjoy. He's not just trying to hold something back from us that would be good. No, he knows what way is best. Much more could be said about this, but I just would direct you to um, a couple of books that John Piper has written. He writes extensively on using the promises of God to pursue holiness in his books called, one is called Battling Unbelief. And that's actually a, a, a section of the larger book that's called um, Future Grace. So I commend those works to you. They will be a help to you. Believing the immediate promises of God can help us flee temptations now. And then clinging to the future promises of God empower us to stay true to the Lord in the face of persecution and onslaught from the world. Let me give you some examples. Right? Christians being persecuted for their faith can cling to the promise that Jesus is coming again and that he will grant relief to them and he will punish those who are afflicting them. 2 Thessalonians 1.7 Christians suffering trials and sickness from living under the curse of sin can draw strength from the promise that when Jesus returns they'll be raised in a perfect body and live in a place of no more pain, sin, and death. <laughs> Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 15, right? Revelation 21. Christians weary from the spiritual battle against sin who may be tempted to just throw in the towel. Instead, they can receive endurance from the Lord as they think of their promised future of worshiping the Lord around his throne with hearts that are completely pure from sin. That's our, that's our future, right? And those are promises that God will be faithful to fulfill. And as we believe those, it can help us stay true to the Lord. Continue with some examples. Christians who are tempted to worry and despair when they consider future trials and hardships. They can find peace in the promise that the Lord's mercies are new every morning and that he gives daily grace according to our needs. Lamentations 3, Matthew 6, 2 Corinthians 12. Believers who wonder how they will be able to stay faithful to the Lord can be encouraged when they remember that the Lord is faithful and he will keep us until the day of Christ Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. So as we move now into verse 7, we're going to see a beautiful description of what it looks like to stay true to the Lord. Remember, we're, we're talking about habits that will help us stay true to the Lord, but this passage also just describes what it looks like to stay true to the Lord. And that's what we have in verse 7. Look with me here. This is a beautiful uh, description. He's already said, you know, drive out those Canaanites that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. 
Verse 9, for the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. As for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand since it's the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised you. Here's another description, verse 11. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, and he's going to go ahead and describe what, what the consequences of that. But in all that, he's, he's, he's illustrating or describing what it looks like to stay true to the Lord. Did you notice that word cling? It's in there twice, right? It's saying cling to the Lord, don't cling to the remaining nations. That's the same word that's used in Genesis 2.24. When, when the Bible's describing the very first marriage, right? And talks about Adam being united to or as we used to, grew up with the King James, cleaving to Eve as his wife, right? That's that same word, cling. And so it describes a strong bond, a, a strong commitment and faithfulness. It's like a marriage, right? I mean, that's what it is in Genesis 2. That's what it looks like to stay true to the Lord, to be faithful to him. Israel's covenant with the Lord was like a marriage. You look at... Exodus 19, when, at Mount Sinai, I mean, it's like a marriage ceremony in, in their days. The Lord loved them, and he would be faithful to provide for them. Likewise, then, Israel was to love the Lord and be faithful to him by obeying him and worshiping him alone. And so for Israel to go after other so-called gods was to commit spiritual adultery against the Lord. That's how it described it in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? <laughs> Very similar. Right? Likewise, as believers in the new covenant, we, the church, have been betrothed to Christ. And we are to be faithful to him as we prepare for his return and the final marriage supper of the Lamb when we get to be with him forever in glory. And so we, are, we too are to love the Lord. We are to give the Lord the first place of our affections and we are to look to him to meet our greatest needs. That's what it looks like to stay true to the Lord. And so to, to look t- to love other things more than Christ or to worship created things rather than the creator or to look to the things of this world for our ultimate hope and satisfaction is to be unfaithful to the Lord. Just like a, hu- a husband cheating on his wife. James 4.4 4 says, You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? May we not be unfaithful to the Lord. It's true, we still struggle with sin and and praise God that Christ's blood cleanses us from our sin and from our unfaithfulness. But let us be quick to repent and turn away from sin lest our heart be turned away from the Lord. And this week, thinking about this, I couldn't help but think of those tragic words in Paul's last letter. In 2 Timothy 4.4, Paul gives a tragic report of Demas, who had once appeared to love and serve the Lord. But what does he say? For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Let us be faithful to the Lord. And I hope I... 
by talking about this and, and, and bringing in what the Bible teaches about the uh, illustration of marriage, I hope it's showing you that and reminding you that our relationship with the Lord is not to be one of cold, fearful obedience. Rather, our relationship with the Lord should be one of loving obedience. Now, don't get me wrong. There's, there, we're always to be growing in the fear of the Lord and the awe of the Lord. But our relationship with the Lord should be one of loving obedience. Think of the pictures the Bible gives. Like a, like a child with his loving heavenly father. Or like a bride with her loving husband. That's what our relationship with God should look like. That's what it means to be true to the Lord. And so loved ones, believers, let us cultivate our love for the Lord. And again, we do that by abiding in his love for us. Well, as we come kind of toward the end of this speech, you'll notice that Joshua doesn't follow kind of the modern uh, practice or modern wisdom of ending speeches on a positive note. Uh, choosing instead to conclude his address to the leaders with sober warnings, beginning in verse 12, which leads me to my third and final practice to help us stay true to the Lord. Number three, consider the consequences if you sin. Consider the consequences if you sin. We've had remember the goodness of God, believe the promises of God, and now thirdly and finally, consider the consequences if you sin. Joshua begins uh, by making this point in verse 12. Look with me at verse 12. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, here comes the consequences, verse 13. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Now we've talked about this before, but it's important for us to understand, okay? The Mosaic covenant, the covenant that Israel is, the covenant between the nation of Israel and God, the covenant that we're dealing with here in Joshua, right? The Mosaic covenant was a conditional covenant. And we see that again in this passage. If Israel obeyed the Lord, they could stay in the land and God was going to bless their crops. He was going to bless their livestock. He was going to bless their families. He was going to give them peace and prosperity. But if they disobeyed the Lord, he promises God would bring disaster upon them. Their crops and the livestock would, would, would fail, would not produce. Their families would suffer, and they would be driven out from the land by their enemies. So these blessings and curses are detailed in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28, if you want to look at them. <laughs> they go through a whole ceremony driving this point home. And remember Joshua and them repeated that ceremony in the book of Joshua. But here, in his, one, his last words to the leaders, Joshua drives home this warning. Look at verse 14. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, 
So the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. End of speech. That's what he leaves them with, right? I mean, on one hand, verse 14 is very positive and encouraging, right? God keeps his promises. Not one word of the Lord has failed. <laughs> that's a wonderful truth. And that's, that's great when Israel thinks about God's promises to bless them for their obedience, right? But Joshua's saying, hey, you know, the opposite's also true. Israel, you need to realize that just as God keeps his promises to bless obedience, he's going to keep his promise to curse disobedience. He's going to curse you if you, bring, if you break the covenant and are unfaithful to him. Again, that was how it was under the Mosaic covenant. God keeps his promises. He follows through on his warnings. If they are unfaithful to the Lord, then God will drive them out of the promised land and destroy them. And that's a sobering truth that Israel needs to keep in mind. Joshua's urging them to remember that, Right? Joshua uses the threat of God's judgment in order to help Israel stay true to the Lord. Now, studying the Old Testament, I think, just highlights even more so the glory of the gospel for us. Because the good news of the gospel is that Jesus bore God's judgment and secured God's blessing for his people. And again, I remind you of Galatians 3.13 that says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We've, we've dissected that passage before in our study through Joshua, so I won't spend long on it now but suffice to say that through Christ's perfect obedience sacrificial death and victorious resurrection Jesus has satisfied God's wrath and he has secured eternal blessings for everyone who by faith embraces him as Lord and Savior that is huge that is the good news of the gospel that you will not face God's judgment that you are promised God's blessings because of Christ. Because what Israel showed in their history and what we show by our own experience too is that none of us on our own can obey God perfectly. And so we're all deserving of his judgment. But Christ has obeyed in our place. And we're, we're given his righteousness. And he's suffered in our place the punishment we deserve. Hallelujah. And it reminds me again, praise Christ that he established the new covenant. That now by God's grace through faith in Christ, we no longer live under this constant threat of God's judgment. We know that Christ has paid for our sins. We know that Christ has turned away God's wrath once and for all. And he has reconciled us to God. God is now our heavenly father who loves us with a perfect never ending love. And yet, 
The New Testament still uses warnings. <laughs> the New Testament still warns of the destruction of sin. Right? Sin still dishonors God. Sin still brings painful consequences in this life. A parallel passage that, that we need to remember is Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So that's why this principle is still very helpful and relevant to us. Consider the consequences if you sin. When you are tempted to sin... Think about where that's going to lead, Christian. Our sin will be met with God's loving discipline because sin is serious. Sin hurts others. Sin brings shame to the name of Christ. Sin still brings awful consequences in this life. And we need to consider that. To help us not sin. Think about the consequences of sin. Anger and impatience can exasperate our children and tear down our spouse. Pornography damages future relations with our spouse and brings us under bondage. Greed and covetousness harms our relationships and takes our focus away from Christ's kingdom. Worrying robs us of the peace and joy that we have in Christ. Drunkenness and substance abuse can destroy relationships and and literally kill innocent people. Idolatry and love of this world robs God of the worship he deserves and, and prevents us from finding true satisfaction that our souls crave. We could go on and on with examples, right? Consider the consequences of sin. Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? And he goes on to talk about the, the man who sleeps with another man's wife. It brings consequences. We must consider the consequences of, of sin, potential sin, so that we will stay far away from it. I've heard many a Christian man encourage men to think about what committing adultery would do to their marriage, right? You know, I mean, this is before the fact. I mean, this is before there's ever a temptation, before there's ever a, a thought of another woman, right? But just sit down and write, what would, it, what would happen, likely, if I commit adultery? What would it do to my marriage? What would it do to my children? What would it do to my ministry, whatever that looks like? What would it do to the name of Christ? What would it do to to my brothers and sisters in Christ? Considering the consequences of sin can help us flee temptations and not sin against the Lord our God. Ultimately, we need to think about the consequences of unrepentant sin on our relationship with the Lord. And this is where... Again, the Bible, the Bible um, you can call it attention or you can call it whatever you want, but the Bible exhorts believers 
to make their calling and election sure. Be diligent to make your calling and election sure, Second Peter 1. I was going to have us read that passage, but I, I doubt we're going to have time today. The Bible calls us to examine ourselves. The Bible calls us to, to, be, to persevere, right? So ultimately, we need to think about the consequences of unrepentant sin on our relationship with the Lord. If we begin, I'll give you some examples. Think about these consequences. If we begin to doubt the truth or doubt the sufficiency or doubt the authority of God's word, we open ourselves up to being led astray by the sinful philosophies of this fallen world. If we start neglecting the gatherings of the body of Christ, we make ourselves vulnerable to giving up our confession of faith. Look at Hebrews 10. It links the two. If we start dabbling in the sinful teachings and activities of this world, we are giving the devil a foothold into our hearts from which he's going to try and pull us away from Christ. And praise God that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But let us not even go there, right? Let us guard our hearts, loved ones. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Let us consider the consequences of sin. Let us consider the consequences of compromise. Let us be sober-minded and heed the warnings of Scripture, staying far away from sin and rooting ourselves then in the means of God's grace. And here's where I was going to have us read 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. I'll leave that for your homework. It links a lot of these things that we've been talking about. Praise God for the finished work of Christ, the precious promises he's given us. Then let us then be diligent to add to our faith, obedience, and to obedience, brotherly love, right? And all these things. And in doing so, we make our calling and election sure. That's how we stay true to the Lord. By God's grace. So that I close with that call to us. The same call Joshua had to Israel. Abounding Grace Church. By God's grace, let us stay true to the Lord. Let us develop these habits of considering the consequences of sin. Of believing the promises of God. Of remembering the goodness of God. And many other helpful practices. Let us do whatever it takes. To cling to the Lord our God. May God give us grace to practice these habits and may he use them to grow us closer to the Lord and so that we enjoy our Lord Jesus Christ all our days. And may there be generation after generation of faithfulness to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we praise you because you are good. And certainly, I don't do justice to it in the short time we considered it today, Lord. We could, it's like the song says, the love of God is greater far than anyone can write or, or speak about. Your love, your grace, your goodness is, is truly amazing. And there's so much there for us to remember and to, to meditate on, to, to rejoice in day after day. Please forgive us for forgetting how good you are and, and forgetting the blessings we have in Christ and instead focusing on 
the, the challenges or the disappointments or whatever. Oh, help us preach the gospel to ourselves. Help us renew our minds with your word. Help us just enjoy our relationship with you. Please, Father, give us wisdom. When we think about considering the consequences of sin, we know that's what the Bible talks about wisdom is. It's it's seeing the outcome before before it happens. Please alert us, Lord. We know that sin is deceitful and it, 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 it tries to mask the consequences and it, and it elevates the, the, the deceitful pleasures and help us to see through that by your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we need you desperately and we're thankful that you are committed to us. That no one can snatch us out of your hand and that you are the one who daily gives us strength to persevere. And please help us then to rely on that strength to do, our, do what you call us to do. And that is to love you with all our heart, soul, and mind. To cling to you. Help us enjoy our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand please and we'll... Continue to worship through song.